Genesis chapter 13, please. As we return to our Sunday morning series through the book of Genesis, we are now entering our third week in this chapter. In the first week, we saw Abram's return to the altar between Bethel and Hai. Abram had left the altar when he went down to sojourn in Egypt. And there, he decided he would lean unto his own understanding instead of seeking God. Naturally, it did not go well for him there. But that's what happens when we leave God out of the equation and we try to figure everything out. And in shame, he has to walk out of that nation with his tail tucked between his legs, his head hanging in shame because a pagan king had to rebuke a follower of God. Well, go back and read chapter 12 if you're not sure what I'm talking about. But as he comes up out of Egypt and back into the land of Canaan, he makes his way back to the altar that he had left when he went down to Egypt. That altar was the last place where he had communed with God. He called upon the name of the Lord there. And so he goes back to that place and he calls upon the name of the Lord once again. And surely after getting his heart right and calling upon the name of the Lord at the altar, boy, life's going to go great and everything's going to be wonderful. No. He gets up from the altar. The next event we read about in this chapter is there's strife entering the camp. The herdsmen of Lot and the herdsmen of Abram, they are at a, a strife. There's a contention that he's now going to have to deal with. And that's what we considered was how do we deal with strife? And then we considered how strife and contentions aren't always a bad thing. Sometimes God will use those conflicts in our life to steer us away from a bad influence, to kick us back in the right direction towards God, to get us in obedience with His Word. Remember that Abram was not in full obedience by continuing to have Lot with him. God had told him, you need to separate from your father's house. You need to get away from your kindred. But Lot was always there, his nephew. And so he wasn't technically fully obeying God, even though he was going into the land by faith. And so as a result, God was using the strife that takes place here to separate Lot from Abram. And it's okay. Sometimes there's people we have to separate from. It doesn't mean they're the devil. It doesn't mean we're the devil. It doesn't mean that we're having a falling out. We can just part ways. And sometimes that's just the way it is. I've learned that the hard way as a pastor. Amen? Hey, everybody listen to me for a second. Here's, here's what happens. is People say, oh, we love you, pastor. And then I find out, oh, you're leaving? Well, thanks for telling me you were planning on leaving because I had no idea. Anyway, I had to say that for certain people. Who are they? Don't worry about it. Well, Abram, he recognizes there's a potential strife. Let me rephrase that. He realizes that the strife between his herdsmen has the potential to grow into a strife between him and Lot personally. And so he needs to address this issue, and he asks Lot to depart from him. But as he does, he allows Lot to choose which direction he would like to take. That's awful nice of Abram. Seriously, amen? And this brings us to where we left off last time. Let's begin in chapter 13 by reading verses 8 through 13. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, 
between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If that will take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east. And they separated themselves, the one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. So, having already returned to the altar, Abram is now trusting in God's leading again. And though we can make the argument that Abram had a right to tell Lot what to do, after all, it was Abram who was following God by faith. It was God who called Abram to the land, not Lot. We could make that argument, but Abram decides to trust the Lord with the outcome, and he allows Lot to choose which direction he wants to go. And Abram says, I'll just go in the opposite direction. Remember the place to where they returned was a mountainous region. In Genesis 12, 8, it is described as a mountain on the east of Bethel. And from their vantage point, they must have been able to look out over all the plain of the Jordan River there and see this well-watered area to the east. And in verse 10, we read, And Lot lifted up his eyes, and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. That area at that time was so well watered that it is likened here to the garden of the Lord, which I take to mean the garden of Eden. I don't know for sure, but that's my take. And then it was also likened to the land of Egypt, which I would imagine is probably a reference to the Nile River and the impact that it has in that region. But if you know anything about the area of where Sodom and Gomorrah once stood, then you know it's definitely not well watered today. It is a barren wasteland. And the reason is, we're told in verse 10, it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Why is it a barren wasteland? Why is it no longer well watered? Because God judged the people there. It was God's judgment. All this talk about climate change. Don't worry, I'm not going there. But it's God who controls it all. God can alter this entire earth if He so chooses. If He can speak the world into existence, He can speak a different climate. Lord, thou knowest I'm in Rapid City. It'd be nice to have some porch weather in the wintertime. God altered that entire region because of their sinfulness. Think about that. God makes it clear in His Word how the blessings are cursing of the fruit of the land is in direct proportion to our obedience to God. See, I don't believe that. Anywhere there's severe drought, anywhere there's famine, we should look to God. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin. And what does it say next? And will heal their land. We should only expect the blessings of God upon our land by getting right with Him. Not by embracing some politically motivated Green New Deal. 
I'm not going there either. You see how I don't go there by going there? This is very clever on my part. Amen. Now, by all means, we need to be good stewards. That's a biblical principle. But unless we cry out to God, we're going to experience the pain of all creation groaning together, which you can see over in Romans 8.22. So take a map of the world sometimes and look at the areas that suffer the most and then consider their spiritual condition. You want to know if God's real? I'm I'm being serious. And you look and you see, and then you look at that spiritual condition, you're going to find an amazing parallel. You're going to see that those who have rejected Christ, they're not doing too hot. We used to be doing a lot better. Now, God is merciful, thank God. He says He will allow the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. But there's no denying this principle. Consider this, Psalm 107, verses 33 and 34. He turneth rivers into a wilderness, and the water springs into dry ground, a fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of them that dwell therein. I see it very much today, and maybe it's because I'm not as plugged in, but I can remember as a kid when we had a drought in Georgia, the governor would get on the steps of the Capitol there in Atlanta, and he would say, we, we need to pray that God will send rain. We need to get our hearts right with God. You don't hear that very much today, do you? Well, back to our account here with Lot um, in Genesis 13. But before God's judgment, and and we'll see God's judgment when we get to chapter 19 in about four years. But (laughs) I'm I'm just teasing. I'm moving faster if you can't tell. Uh, Instead of four verses, we're covering five now. Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw how the plain of Jordan was well watered Everywhere, And in verse 11, we see how Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. And so, if we connect the beginning of verse 10 with the beginning of verse 11, it is clear Lot made a choice by sight. This is where nearly every preacher will begin to blast Lot. Some have suggested that while Lot left Egypt, Egypt never left Lot. Because he saw the plain of Jordan and he made the connection... Hey, that looks a lot like what I saw down there in Egypt. It's like the land of Egypt, it says. And apparently Lot did well for himself in Egypt, so perhaps he figured he could do well for himself in the plain of Jordan. Makes sense to me. And of course, most will preach about how Lot messed up the moment he decided to walk by sight and not by faith. And this is where it all went wrong. You probably think, Preacher, why can't you just follow the crowd? I don't know, but let me give you my opinion, okay? Um, before I go further, yes, I'm aware of 1 John 2.16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And I'm willing to concede that may be the proper interpretation here. So I'm not against anybody who wants to preach it this way or that way. I don't think it's quite that time to blast Lot yet. Let me give you some reasons why. But don't worry, if you hate Lot, we're going we're gonna to beat up on him later, okay? <laughs> We will get there. Let's remember that this separation between the two is going to happen. Abram has looked at Lot and he said, I pray you separate yourself from me. This is going to take place. And he gives him a choice. So Lot makes a choice. And I'm not trying to be funny, but what's Lot supposed to do? As a rancher, should he look for the driest region he could find? And if he did, would that somehow make him more spiritual? Come on now. 
Any rancher will tell you land without water is a problem. I'm no rancher, but even I can make that connection. If I had flocks and herds and I saw an area available that was as the garden of the Lord, I think I might be inclined to move my operation in that direction. It's not like either one of them... Stay with me because I know some of you are like, what? It's not like either one of them has to consider their local church. They don't exist yet. Right? It's not like he's got other family to consider. In addition, I'm not really so sure that they're even aware of the exceeding wickedness in Sodom. Maybe they are, maybe they're not, but verse 13 may just be a foreshadowing to the reader to say this is what we need to watch down the road. They, remember, they're relatively newcomers to the region, and they haven't been that way yet. All they may be aware of is that all the inhabitants of the land are wicked. In, in their minds, maybe it didn't matter so much where they were to set up operations because everybody was wicked in the land, which is true. We will see that as we go through Genesis. Remember that the Canaanite was then in the land. Now, I personally think Lot would have been wise to do his research, so don't misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with sending out some some spies, as we read about in Numbers 13, to spy out the land and see if that would be a good place to put his family. But the fact of the matter is, he does have flocks, he does have herds, He does have servants. He has a family to care for. So was he really wrong for choosing what was best in that regard? Well, I thought about this passage in Proverbs 27, verses 23 through 27. It says, Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks, and look well to thy herds. For riches are not forever. And doth the crown endure to every generation? The hay appeareth, and the tender grass showeth itself, and herbs of the mountain are gathered. The lambs are for thy clothing, and goats are for the price of the field. In other words, you you make your living this way. But thou shalt have goat's milk enough for thy food, and for the food of thy household, and for the maintenance of thy maidens. And so according to that passage, it seems Lot was justified in judging, here's a well-watered area that would be good for my flocks, it would be beneficial for everything, I could take care of my servants, I could take care of my family. And what does our great shepherd do? He leads us beside the still waters. He, he leads us into green pasture. Once upon a time, I was an Air Force weatherman. I got paid to guess, amen? And because manning was low, which always seemed to be the case, probably still is the case today, I found myself performing duties of a company grade officer as an enlisted E6. And I thought to myself, self, If I'm going to do the work of an officer, I might as well get paid for it. Now, that doesn't translate to the pastorate, amen, but... So I lifted up my eyes, and I beheld the pay scale, and I saw how the officer's side was better watered than the enlisted side. I did the math, and I realized I could double my pay in just a few years. And my wife could stay at home with our children more comfortably if I became an officer, and so I did. And I thank God that I did. Now, there was a lot more that went into that decision that I don't have time to get into. I had other motivations. For example, at the time, I thought God was going to call me into a small town, South Dakota, and it would be a blessing to not be a burden on a church by having that extra financial help. So please don't think I'm always endorsing moving whenever you can make more money somewhere else. That's not my point. And I'll get to the other side of this in a minute. 
I'm simply saying just because we see something beneficial with our natural sight, it doesn't mean we are immediately in rebellion to God. Did you know God gives us common sense? He does. Let me just give you a common sense example. If, if you're working here in Rapid City and, I don't know, I don't know jobs, okay? I know weather and preaching. Um, and you're pumping gas somewhere and, and you can go to another gas station across the street and make twice the money, go across the street and make it twice the money. Amen. If you're in the same town, it's not hurting anything. Boy, y'all are acting real spiritual today. I'm just saying God gives us common sense, Amen. I was thinking about Brother Long and how he had over 11 years active duty time. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to go, you know what, I should probably make the most of that time. If I do some guard time, I can get a pension one day if I just go ahead and do it. I don't think that was in rebellion to God to look at that and go, that makes good sense. Is everybody with me or am I like the only one that ever lives in the real world? <laughs> Act like y'all don't ever think about money. And I'm not even asking you to give it to the church yet. Now, the fact of the matter is, in the day in which we live today, we do need to think about our local church situation. I'm not sure why I am, but I am still amazed at how flippant people can be about where they attend church. And eventually, we're going to see how this move destroyed Lot. It destroyed his family. And I've seen those who have chosen monetary gain over spiritual gain. They uproot their family out of a good church where they are growing and they are serving just to go make more money. And in the process, they end up destroying their family. On the other hand, I have seen those who have turned down the big promotion to stay in a good local church where their family is being blessed. And they made a decision that monetary gain could not outweigh their spiritual gain. But you know, there's some in our church who have turned down big promotions to stay here. <clears throat> and i got to tell you, as a pastor, it's humbling. I don't mean to embarrass anybody, but Brother Adam Jones is one I think about. He was offered a big promotion to go over to Bismarck. And he's, no, we're, we like it here. Amen. And there's others in our church. You know how humbling it is? Where's Todd and Marissa? They just moved to Rapid recently. Yeah, Jared and Andrew just moved around. I mean, they moved around. Mike and Jocelyn moved closer to Rapid. Why? Man, we want to be in a good church. It's humbling. But, and there's those in our church who have made those decisions, what I'm talking about. And listen, just to be clear, I've been on both sides of this. And I'm going to give you the other side. I've already told you how I took the money once. Amen? I did. To me, it was a no-brainer. Uh, you're going to move around in the military anyway. Might as well get paid. I just saw Mike Petraco. That's another one. You know Mike Petraco was working at the Pentagon and his boss came to him. If you know anything about officer politics, they come to you and they ask you certain things to see what kind of stratification they want to give you because they don't want to waste that stratification on somebody who's going to get out. And so Dr. Fred Lewis, who ran our career field, came to Brother Petraco, and I think I have all this straight. Um, I'll give you the number one strat to make 06. Now, you may not know how significant that is as a civilian, but let me tell you, as a weather guy, we were both weather guys, that is huge for the head of our career field to look at that man and say, you're my number one pick out of everybody. Yeah. And Mike and Lisa had a decision to make. You know, I feel like God's calling me to the printing ministry. Yeah. 
He could have went on and made a lot more money. I'm just giving you examples. Now let me give you my example, amen, because I'm up here. And, and I usually don't bring this up because it does come across like bragging, and, and that's not my point at all. But once I knew God had called me here, I turned down my military career. And I, I could have easily gone much further. Wait a minute, I thought you were medically retired. Yeah, but you don't know the story. I'll give you just a little bit. Um, very long story short, I was deemed worldwide qualified when I left Keesler down in Biloxi and I, when I was stationed here. But when I got here, for reasons that I still don't fully understand, I had to go back before the medical board review board. And I could have fought it and I could have won it just like I did in Mississippi. But so I knew God had already called me here. And so I just embraced the process. I, be, I was of the mind that God was at work. In fact, I can remember the day I sat down with the, uh, the lady who was running my, my case and she was giving me all the possible outcomes. I said, I think I can simplify this for us. She said, how's that? I said, I don't want to be in. And she said, what? That makes it way easier. <laughs> and my career was over. Now listen, even as a butter bar, I had great stratifications. I, I was always number one or number two of all the CGOs in the group. And, and that may not mean much to some of you, but, but some of you understand this. And my, my leadership came to me, and they said, do you want to be a squadron commander one day? And I said, yeah. And they said, okay. And that goes back to the, we don't want to waste our stratification. If you have career aspirations, we're going to stratify you that way, and we're going to put you on that, that path. And so by the time I left mine on, I got down to Mississippi. I left there, or I was getting close to leaving there. I had all the awards. I had all the, the right stratifications. Everything was clicking along. I even had an opportunity to be on G-series orders, uh, filling a major's billet as an 03. And that was basically gives you power to do Article 15s and this kind of stuff. Anyway, it's, it's good for your career. And I had been approved by the commander there to come. And even though I was a CGO, he was like, okay, yeah, we'll do it since you're prior enlisted. But then something amazing happened. And Mike, you probably remember some of this. Through a series of events that were out of my hands, God was at work. The one who knows the end from the beginning, yeah. that God. God was at work, and the flight commander position here at Ellsworth came open. And it shouldn't have come open yet. It's a long story. But it came open. And so I had a seemingly big decision to make. I say seemingly because I already had the sense God was leading me here. I had already been a flight commander, so to be a flight commander again was a career killer as an officer because you don't repeat, a, you don't, you don't repeat an assignment as an officer. You've got to always be progressing. And so I knew if I took this position out here at Ellsworth, that would be the end of my career one way or the other, whether I did four more years and retired or whether I got medically retired. And... Um, so I could either take the military route, keep getting promoting, uh, promoted, making more money, or I could follow God's will. Well, as you can see, I chose God's will. And I can tell you that just, just the base pay, I think we ended up losing like $40,000 a year. Wow, you took the money once and now you're losing the money. No, no, no. Don't miss God in all of this. And, and so I tell you, it hasn't always been easy, but God is always blessed. And so I'm just saying, I know what it's like to be on both ends of that spectrum. I know what it's like to look at a well-watered plane and say, that makes sense. I know what it's like to look at a well-watered plane and say, no, that's not the direction I need to go. And, and so I hope I'm communicating this effectively so you know uh, th this isn't a one-statement-fits-all kind of situation that Lot's dealing with here. Um, here. Here's what I know, because I know it sounds like I'm trying to walk both sides of the fence, and maybe I am, but I, I can tell you this. You will know when your motives are right or not. You will know whether it's God's will or not. You will have peace about it, 
and, and you'll know whether or not God's in it. And you should always consider God's will. You should always consider your local church. I can tell you this, Pastor DeGarmo, if I was offered more money by, the, by another church somewhere, the answer in a heartbeat would be no. I'm not in this for the money. I'll tell you what I get paid if you want to know. I'm not in this for the money. And I know God has called me to Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. And I know that confuses. It even confounds pastors when I say, no, God didn't call me to pastor. He called me to pastor Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. You're like, well, was that specific? Yeah. Well, you think you're holier. Yeah, I am holier. Shut up. Just kidding. I really didn't mean to spend this much time here, but I said all this to say I'm not sure Lot was somehow a complete rebel when he chose to move his herds into a well-watered plain. I'm not sure it's always wrong to see something with the eyes that our good Lord gave us and make a decision. And whether people like hearing this or not, sometimes the grass is greener on the other side. Amen. Well, that's good preaching, and we need to hurry up because I'm already supposed to be letting you go here in a minute. Well, if Lot didn't blow it, here's... All right, all you Lot haters, tune back in. If Lot didn't blow it when he chose the well-watered plain of the Jordan River, when did he blow it? Because if you know what happens in chapter 19, it doesn't end well. Well, let's keep going in our text here. We see in verse 11, Lot journeys east into the plain of Jordan. In verse 12, we are told Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, while Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain. And then we are told Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. And I believe that's the moment Lot made his mistake. This is when Lot, I believe, gets off course. I think as a rancher, there's nothing wrong than looking at water and saying, that makes sense for my herds and my flocks. My family's overall well-being. This makes a good move. i got to separate from Abram anyway. But I think his problem began once he pitched his tent toward Sodom. Why, as a rancher, as it says here, is he dwelling in the cities of the plain of the wilderness? Why is he now doing this? He could have dwelt in the plain without dwelling in cities. Wickedness was everywhere in the land. And by the way, I had to take some of this out of my notes, but Lot was a saved man. The New Testament makes that clear. Just Lot vexed his soul by living in Sodom. But, and so he, he could dwell in the plain without dwelling in the cities. He could stay away from the wickedness. He could have taken care of his house, his family, without ever scooching up next to Sodom. And if you know the account of Lot, then you know how it all starts here. He first pitched his tent toward Sodom. In chapter 14, we're going to find him dwelling in Sodom. And by chapter 19, he's sitting in the gate of Sodom, which means now he's got greater involvement within the city. And apparently he left off ranching altogether because when the angels come and tell them the city's going to be destroyed, they just tell them, get your family. They don't mention anything about any kind of flocks and herds or anything like that. He fully embraced Sodom. And there's many applications I can make right here. There's a lot of ways I could preach this. And it is interesting to me how many are preaching this as though Abram was so upstanding, he would have never made this decision. And Lot was nothing more than a low-down worldly believer. What? Wait a minute. What did Abram just do at the end of chapter 12? He gave his wife to the Pharaoh. Did we forget that? 
Well, now listen to me, please. All right, if you tune me out. We are all capable of making dumb, sinful decisions. All it takes is one lapse of faith. So don't think Abram was any better than Lot or that you're any better than Lot. Your walk with God may be closer than others at times, but apart from God, you're no better than anyone else. I don't know what motivated Lot. Without the Bible telling us, it's really nothing more than speculation. But for some reason, Sodom was appealing to Lot. And really all the cities in general were appealing to him. Because when Lot is told to flee Sodom in chapter 19, the angels tell him, you need to go up to the mountain. He says, no, I'd rather go into a city if that's okay. Something was drawing this man into these cities. And based upon what we'll read about Sodom in chapter 19, I have to believe... Listen, it couldn't have taken Lot long to realize this is a wicked place. Remember in chapter 19, the two angels come, the men of the city want to rape them. This is a wicked place. There's no way it would have taken him a long time to realize, I probably shouldn't have my family here. And, And so something here is drawing him in, and he can't seem to break away from it. And I had to take some of this out too, but by the way, This verbiage in verse 13 proves that not all sin is equal before the Lord, like many say. The fact is, there are sins which are greater than others. And I know that blows some of your theological reasoning here, but in relation to your eternal destination, it's true. A sin is a sin. You'll go to hell for sin. And and to be honest with you, what, what condemns people to hell is one sin. It's the sin of unbelief. But but that aside. Jesus himself looked at Pilate and said, He that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. There are worse sins. I can tell I'm not connecting the dots here. If I'm looking at two neighborhoods and one neighborhood has garage break-in once a month and this neighborhood somebody's getting murdered once a month, I'm not going to look at that neighborhood and go, Well, all sin, sin. I'm just going to go ahead and move my family over here. Maybe we'll get shot. I'm going to say, if you want to steal a drill, steal a drill out of the garage. Don't kill me. All right, anyway, I'm still not connecting the dots. Let's move on. This verse says they were sinners exceedingly. If God says that, how bad is it? Now, I always got to qualify these things. I'm not saying there are certain sins it's okay to commit. I know, don't send me the emails. I'm just trying to be honest with the Scriptures and get us to think a little bit. All right, let's leave that alone. So what happened a lot? I, I, man, y'all quit talking to me. I got to get this done. What happened a lot? What kept drawing him in? What is keeping him there? I don't know for sure, but can I tell you this? The Bible says the flesh is weak. There was something that was drawing him in when I believe he knew deep down this is not the right place to be for me and my family. There was something that Lot just couldn't seem to break away from. Now let's be honest. Most of us know what that's like. Hebrews 12.1 speaks of our need to lay aside every weight and the sin which just so easily beset us. Hey, if we're being honest, most of us in here would testify to the truth of that verse and how there's that one area of our life There's that one area that we always seem to deal with. 
Sometimes the draw is stronger than at other times. But it's still difficult for us. And the moment we drop our guard, we find ourselves indulging again. Proverbs 26.11 says, As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. Peter was citing that when he wrote this in 2 Peter 2.22. But it has happened unto them again according to the true proverb. The dog is turned again, or excuse me, the dog is turned to his own vomit again. And the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. And there was something about that dog's vomit of Sodom that Lot just could not keep, you know, he just kept returning to it. There was something about the mire there in Sodom that he enjoyed wallowing in. Are we any different? Jesus said in Matthew 26, 41, Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Do you remember the words that Paul wrote in Romans 7? It almost kind of sounds like a tongue twister if you're reading it too fast. He said, For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. And don't miss this. For that in me, that is my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am! Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And he gives the answer. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. What are you struggling with today? What keeps drawing you in? And, and maybe you're not even acting on it outwardly, but it's up here. You know, God knows your thoughts. Understand this, my friends. Your problem began when you moved your tent in the direction of Sodom. It started when you began to inch closer to it. And perhaps now you find yourself dwelling in a secret tent doing things you thought you would never do. You know, that's how pornography is. You find yourself in a path in some alley somewhere and you're now looking at things you never thought you would look at. And it's not just men anymore. What keeps drawing you in? And listen, I don't have to name sins. I throw that one out there because now it's just so accessible. It's on our phones, it's on our tablets, it's on our computers. For crying out loud, I can't even drive down the interstate without seeing things I shouldn't see. You know, are you tired of living there? Maybe some just need to uproot their tent stakes and move. Lot made a choice to move towards Sodom. 
we can make a choice to move away. You know what your sin is. You know what your problem is. Like I said, I don't have to get up here and list them all. God's dealing with you right now. You know it. You know that area that you need victory in. Why not start today? I want you to know there's victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Move toward Him. The Bible says He'll move towards you. Would you pray with me, please?